Welcome to Fave This, a new show about fandom, internet culture, and the unusual things people do in video games. This is your host, Patricia Hernandez, and I am joined by my lovely co-host, Gita Jackson. Hey, what up? It's hey. me. <laughs> I'm Gita. <laughs> um, so we're starting off today with a reader from C. Charlie. Charlie sent us a picture of all their Joy-Con and says they're, they have a similar plight to what I have, so I'm glad that I'm not alone. <laughs> <laughs> they also have a Joy-Con addiction? Yes, they they send us pictures, and it's just, like, all the colors. Oh, my God. Okay. I'm, like, jealous, though. <laughs> so here's their, their, uh, their post. Since your podcast, I have accepted Switch friend requests from random people I played Splatoon with. I've also had the experience of a young child slash young teen try to friend me and my husband. He streams casually. And my angst uh, at, what we, at what my responsibility was towards this young person. And this is actually something that I think about a lot. Oh, really? Yeah. Have you had this experience? Um, so I have a friend who plays Overwatch with just random internet buddies. And one of them is sort of like late teens, early 20s. And like you always think like, what is my responsibility to this young person as someone who has lived a lot more life than them? Mm-hmm. And my friend, like she is just has helped this guy like through a bunch of like breakups and like crushes and that kind of thing. And it's been really nice. But like every time anyone comments or tweets at me, about my work and is like I'm a teenager I'm always like I need to protect you (laughs) (laughs) yeah you get protective I feel that I feel that yeah um and I I understand especially if like a person who's like a child is like trying to friend you after a Splatoon match like of course I would like to play like you always want to I want to be like a positive influence in people's lives Mm -hmm. especially young children playing video games because that stuff can get really nasty Mm. But yeah, I think I saw someone tweeting the other day, and I'm sorry that I can't shout out your name because I don't remember who it was, that they were playing a competitive uh, Overwatch match and that there was a kid who was like totally carrying the team, but people kept shitting on the on the kid and she was like trying to protect this kid. And it's just I feel like the second that a kid says anything on uh, online video game, people will shit on them for having a kid voice. Mm hmm. And I think partially that comes from, and this is shitty, obviously, it comes from people being like, is that a kid or is that a girl sort of yeah. deal? It's, and it's shitty either way you cut it because yeah. like, well, why would you treat someone differently just because they're a woman? Why would you treat them differently just because they're a kid? Yeah. It's also like allowed children to have fun. Like yeah. not everybody has to grow up immediately. It's like something, something that like I see when you know kids get shit on is like it's always gentle ribbing but like children don't really understand the difference between getting like gently hazed like Mm -hmm. adults do to each other and like someone trying deliberately to make them feel bad Hmm. and it might be funny to like make a child freak out to you when you're like in your early 20s oh my god this is like an entire genre of video have you seen this uh uh youtubers who will post this uh 
I made a kid cry in Minecraft and it yeah. gets like millions and millions of views. Yeah. It's yeah. like a thing. People like making kids cry. I like don't like I know the like rationale is like, oh, they're, you know, kids get really emotional about a lot of things. They're going to forget about it. They'll think it's funny later. And that might be true. Like there's definitely things I've done even my adult in my adult life that were deeply hurtful at the time, but really funny later. Mm-hmm. But it always just seems like really cruel to me. Yeah. Um, I remember there is this one YouTube video that I like don't share with people, even though I think it's the funniest thing I've ever seen in my life. But it's like someone who's like 14 years old, maybe, um, who has made a YouTube video about why he loves video games. And it's very, quote, like cringy, you know, Mm -hmm. like it's I can do anything in games. Like, why would I need to go to college? I can do everything in a game. Uh, And I used to think this was like the funniest thing I'd ever seen in my entire life. Um, and I shared it all the time with all of my friends and like laughed at this person. And then I got a little older and I was like, no, like sincerely games mean so much to this child. Mm -hmm. And I like should not shit on them for that feeling. Yeah. I think being a kid is slightly harder in some ways nowadays because we live so much of our lives online and people are trying to figure things out online but because things are so shareable, that means, like, this kid that makes, like, not great art gets critiqued by, like, these full-grown adults. And they're like, that's cringe. I remember reading on Twitter, another Twitter user that I wish I could chat out, but they were telling a story about how when they were younger, they would make art. And then suddenly, for some reason, someone found that. And I think it was, like, Sonic art. And they made fun of it. and he And he was like... This stopped me from pursuing my passion for years because I was so terrified that someone would find my shitty art and would just make fun of it. Yeah. I am very glad that no one has found my shitty art. Uh, I mean, most of it was offline because I would see this happen to other people in my own age group. uh, And I would just feel like, you know, I can't ever show this to anyone. And it's um, the Internet now especially is like a very – well, everyone loves complaining online, number one. But it's also everyone is sort of judged as coming from the same exact place in their lives, even though a lot of your peers are going to be younger than you, have a lot of different life experiences and different perspectives. And you can't get mad at someone for not knowing as much or not having drawn for 10 years Mm -hmm. or something like that. I think it's interesting. You know, Tumblr has that stigma for being like SJW Haven or whatever. But I think a lot of times the posts that people will quote are literal children who are like are trying on this language that they don't really understand. I definitely agree. I mean, I was one of those one of those people. Like when I started really discovering the political and uh, academic side of feminism, I was sort of uh, in my late in my late teens, early 20s in college. So number one, I was behaving like a lunatic because I was in college. (laughs) And number two, like Tumblr was a big part of my life at that point in time. Um, and all of these people were having these just moments where they would like, as if they were the first person in the world would say like, oh my God, like the patriarchy is affecting me in this particular way. And Mm -hmm. I had no idea. And it always felt like you were an absolute genius because you discovered intersectionality. Mm -hmm. But in fact, you know, these are conversations that have been happening for a long time. And eventually you will kind of grow out of that phase where you have to point out everything that's problematic. But it just happens to people, mm-hmm. you know, like whenever you notice, like when I noticed that the FedEx logo has an arrow in it, I just couldn't <laughs> stop telling people. <laughs> like it's one of those things. Or uh, I was describing it to my mom as 
sometimes when people discover feminism or leftist leftist politics, they act like they've smoked weed for the first time. <laughs> like that's you know, it's just something that happens, and you have to let people like your annoying friend that smoked weed for the first time. He grew out of it. Mm-hmm. So I have a, a I have a story about this. I have also experienced this firsthand. Um, I had a kid friend me in a game, but in this specific situation, he was playing with his dad. I connected with his dad specifically at first, and so they kept playing together, so it kind of always felt like he was supervised. Um, This was back in, like, 2007, so I was, like, 17, and the kid, I think, was maybe, like, 10 or 11 or 8. I don't know. I don't think he was a teen, but maybe Mm -hmm. he was. It doesn't matter. So I kind of move on from Xbox a little bit after the, the 360, but I jumped back in very recently with the new Gears of War. Uh, when that happened, it was really strange to log in and kind of see all these usernames from people that I did not remember or recall. Do you ever have this experience where you like log into something for the first time in a long time and you see these usernames and you kind of think to yourself, wow, these were my best friends back when I was X age and now I just don't even recall anything yeah. about them. When I deleted my old live journal, I had that moment where mm. I, was, I looked at my friends list and I was like, oh, holy shit, I haven't talked to any of these people and like... 10 years like more than 10 years and it felt and it just it felt super weird yeah so i saw this kid's username online and i kind of sat there for a minute being like would it be weird to send them an invite again i'm sorry that so many of my problems are like me sitting there being like should i talk to this person (laughs) (laughs) that's like a lot of my problems also (laughs) um so i was just kind of sitting there being like well they're not a kid anymore so it wouldn't be weird would they remember me though? That that was the big thing in my head, just being like, "Am I gonna be this weirdo that they they're like, who the fuck is this?" Because like, at some point, uh, Microsoft upped your friends limit, so you don't have to delete anyone if you don't want to. Mm-hmm. Although I prefer to believe that they saw my name and felt like that I should stay there because I had such an impact in their life. That's probably <laughs> not what happened, but I believe it too. <laughs> um. So I got over my initial fear, and I sent him an invite, and he accepted, and we reconnected while shooting some grubs in Gears 4. It was great. He's a full-on adult now, obviously. <laughs> he has a job, and he told me that he still plays with his dad, which I was really, I just got really emotional when he was telling me about like his relationship with his dad. That is so <laughs> beautiful, Patricia. Oh, my God. And I just felt like weirdly proud that he turned out all right because I, I felt like I watched him grow up over an Xbox Live headset. And it just I felt so good that he turned out all right after all those years. So I guess this is a really roundabout way of answering the initial like dilemma that our reader sent us. That's my story. Yeah. And all of this to say that like I get why someone would feel weird about befriending a child in a game but sometimes something beautiful can come out it's of it it's also just like you when you're a kid you always remember that moment that like a cool adult was nice to you hmm. and even if you like you never play games with that kid ever again the fact that you accepted a friend request is going to make them feel special for like a minute and that is like very important to children yeah i wonder if i was like one of their first uh xbox live friends i wonder huh. hmm. i'm glad you were able to reconnect with them though that's really sweet. I mean, there was a little bit of this awkwardness because we like it. It had just been like a literal decade or something. Mm-hmm. But well, we don't exactly remember each other, but we're here to shoot shit, so it doesn't really matter. <laughs> yeah, you exactly. Know? Like, <laughs> like, Gita. Yes, I have a confession. I'm here for you. <laughs> 
my confession is that I love Twitch chat. Um, so earlier this week, I wrote about the 60,000 people who chose to watch the eclipse via Twitch chat instead of going outside. And I and I get it. I feel like some people kind of made fun of it because it's like it's this once in a lifetime opportunity and you're sitting there at your computer. But I I get the appeal of Twitch, right? I get the appeal of making a viewing of something kind of like a communal experience yeah. and seeing how everyone reacts. Yeah, so. and like not everybody would live in a totality zone. So right. you'd get a chance to see like the entire thing. And also, you know, there was a bunch of people outside and on the roof of our office, but you're not all sort of turning to each other and making inside jokes that you all have. Right. You know? So I get it. Twitch chat was just ridiculous. There were a lot of posts about the Illuminati uh, faking the moon landing. The earth is flat. Just a lot of conspiracy shit for whatever reason. Um, and I, that's the kind of stuff that I love. Not conspiracy shit. Shit posting. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, I remembered like two days right before the uh, eclipse Brandy Jansen, who's this really funny Twitter person, um, tweeted just the headline of an explainer article about what peep flat earthers think about the moon, the solar <laughs> eclipse. And it was like there is a, it's like a sorcerer's serpent involved. And her tweet was just, oh, hell yes. <laughs> what the fuck? Yeah. <laughs> and it's like that is that is the kind of shit I live for is people just coming around. Oh, my God. OK. Chris Person, who is our video producer. Our uh Meme expert and Meme. <laughs> professional shit poster Chris Person, also Chris. known as the Highlight Reel voice. Yeah, uh, the lovely, lovely Chris Person who is going to be recording Highlight Reel as soon as we get out of this room. Um, he just DM'd me a tweet that was Minecraft creator Notch going to the subreddit for uh, Chapo Trap House, which is basically a political podcast that is entirely shit posting, <laughs> and it was. Notch posting, trying to defend himself and his political opinions, and then just endless, endless, endless memes. And uh, so, like when you say I love shit posting, like that's mm-hmm. that's what I really love. It's just watching someone, someone getting bodied. Yeah, basically, <laughs> like the the very the final comment on that tweet thre- on that that thread was like, "P is stored in the balls. Use this like knowledge very wisely." Now, <laughs> what the fuck? <laughs> it's so funny. <laughs> so at the same time, Twitch chat has this stigma. People feel that Twitch is an awful place. And now, as an asterisk to this, there are longtime streamers who have curated good communities and there are tools that can help them make Twitch a better place. Um, There are definitely some constructive Twitch chats. Um, So I don't want to make it sound like Twitch is just like this cursed place where everything is awful or everything is just shitposting. I think it really depends on the community. Um, But I think... What the general public knows of Twitch chat, I feel like, has a very specific connotation. And I think that's because when there are big events, Mm -hmm. people are tuning in to these channels who um, haven't curated those communities. They might have rules. They might have, like, certain words banned. um, But in general, like, it's very hard to stop this deluge of, like, bad posts yeah um even if they know that it's going to come like things just kind of slip through the cracks when you have like a hundred thousand two hundred thousand people like it's just impossible is that populated it just you can't actually read anything is Mm. part of the problem so part of the shit posting comes from people just that's how emojis um in twitch chat become 
shorthand not only for feelings or adulate or ad- like you know applause or whatever like they can become shorthand for like racial slurs or yeah so like the, like the infamous example is uh whenever a black streamer uh goes on the screen then suddenly you get this just torrent of trihex mm-hmm. um it's almost like people are saying like look it's a black person and like that is very rude and like like just- everyone knows why you're doing it's hard to explain if you don't I don't haven't watched the entire Twitch chat just become trihex mm-hmm. um, in a way that means that no one else can say anything positive about that streamer. Mm-hmm. Um, but that is like a way of shutting down conversation because all they want to do is say like there's a black person, yeah, and they mean it. They mean there's a black person negatively, right? Yeah, and and there are a lot of examples like that. Like it's very difficult for a woman to come on the screen and then not have the Twitch chat also just be like, look, it's a woman, look, it's a woman. And Mm -hmm. like there are specific emotes that come up. So within my saying that I love Twitch chat, I'm not necessarily excusing this stuff because I think that stuff is awful. But shit posting is good. Yes. (laughs) But like, I don't know, man, there's like a part of me that really likes the rawness of Twitch chat when it's harmless. Like, I like seeing what people latch onto. I love the memes. I love the jokes. And I just kind of like watching thousands of people react, sometimes in, like, uh, unison. Mm -hmm. Like, I find that really fascinating. Like, it's almost overwhelming how a lot of social media always incorporates reactions, right? Like, have you seen these Japanese live streams where the, uh, the comments are just, like, plastered through the top yes, of the screen. Yes, that is the only um, streaming video player on the Switch. Actually, if you get a Japanese Switch account, you can download that that oh. that particular player. And it's like, yeah, it's just the for every YouTube video, essentially every streaming video has it dozens of comments. Overwhelms the screen. Like yeah. you can sometimes just barely even see what's going on. But yeah. like people consider that like an integral part of the experience. They don't just want to watch the concert or whatever. They want to see what people are saying. And it's not just that, like, if you look at live streams on Facebook, uh, you can also see, like, the emoji that people are, like, reacting to the thing. And it's, yeah. like, it's hilarious sometimes when, like, say, I don't know, some asshole is on the screen and then all of a sudden it's, like, all angry emoji, like, just yeah. floating up to the top. Like, that shit is hilarious. That is always really funny. <laughs> that happened at a Trump press conference, didn't it? Oh, yeah? That Yeah, I think it just, like, he appeared and it was just angry <laughs> emotes and it was really, really funny. Um. So on Twitch, just kind of seeing the chat burst at mock speed almost reminds me of the end of Persona 5 when you can hear society say, like, their deepest, darkest secrets. Like, honestly, even the shitty, like, some shitty stuff, not all shitty stuff. I wouldn't say that I like it, but I just kind of see myself reacting to it, kind of like a violent car crash and, like, in that I can't look away. (laughs) Yeah. No, I live for this shit <laughs> like i think we both come from like a pretty memeed internet places so i mm. definitely like had my sense of humor on the internet was definitely i used to go to like portal of hell and i used mm. to lurk on the something awful forums and like the modus there is very much a point and laugh and shit post thing mm. um i ta- like once talked to a bunch of like long time something awful posters about like what what is the purpose of shitposting? Hmm. And how how philosophical. Yeah. Like, well, part of it is shitposting is not allowed in something awful. If you shitpost, you will be banned and it costs $10 to get a new account. So that's a big deal. But people do it anyway, don't they? They do. But like, <laughs> shitposting is also like a way to shut down a thread you don't like. 
So oh. if, if someone, I talked to a bunch of people in the Let's Play forum. So, and one of them was like, people really hated our stuff in the beginning. So in order to, like, they, we would have to post our content around just, like, dozens of pages of shitposting. Because people wanted to get our thread shut down. So it became, like, this aggressive thing. So, like, the, the, the thing I keep seeing, especially in, like, political, like, on Twitter, with shitposting and, like, political shit, is whenever anyone has, and whenever anyone has a bad political take now, someone in the replies will say, go on Chapo. Because it's become this thing where, like, they know that those guys probably hate Chapo Chapo specifically. So they're just going to remind them that it exists. And it's the same exact purpose. Mm. And that happens in Twitch streaming, too. Like, when you spam emotes um, to basically shut down chat, it's because you don't like what's happening. And you want to make that voice heard. And sometimes mm. it can be really, really, really funny. Um, right. It, it depends on the context. I feel like this comes up a whole lot now that, like, there's this question of like tactics and in what situations the tactics are okay to use and it always depends on how it's being used, yeah. right? So you also saw the like emote spamming during the Yuri on Ice stream. Mm. But that was basically rainbows and like the what the chat was trying to communicate was we're gay and we love this. <laughs> <laughs> See, that's 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 interesting though, because it's such a fine line. Mm-hmm. It would have been easy for the spamming of the uh rainbow emote to be like Look, it's gay, but you kind of got this overwhelming sense that yeah. it wasn't people pointing out, look, it's gay. It was people being like, I'm gay. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's this like very subtle social code that I find so interesting. Like shit posting, it like the the phrase I'm gay has also been turned into this like shit posting, the weird signal for the queer Twitter community. What Especially- a weird signal, just outright signal. <laughs> <laughs> but I know, but it's like um I love whenever like a new like a pretty anime lady comes out in a game and like the first thing I see when I open Twitter is like someone doing a tweet with that image attached then just saying, wow, I'm gay. <laughs> <laughs> like they've just realized. And it's become like, I mean, it's so weird that it's, for me, it's very funny obviously that I'm gay is now this like secret bat signal, but it is it is like, <laughs> it used to be, being able to be out about being queer online used to be like a weird and like very emotional and like you had to write really sensitive coming out posts and shit. And like I really hate that kind of cloying huh. saccharine stuff. So I'm very happy that like now ship- people are just out with it. Yeah, shit posting culture has allowed people to just be like fucking I'm gay. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like this is a dissertation somewhere how shit posting culture has allowed gay people to i don't know yeah. i don't even know where that just be going. out just be gay in public <laughs> like it's, you know like the fucking splatoon lobby thing that i just wrote about mm-hmm. um if it like the desire when you uh, get shit posters when they see uh antagonism towards them the desire is to shit post more because mm. as soon as someone shows a sign of weakness then you know you you got them so whenever when like a couple of people said keep politics out of games uh, in the Splatoon lobby as a way to shut down people from talking about being trans or being queer. The response immediately became, oh, we're just going to be gay and trans louder and mm-hmm. m- in more force because you don't want us to be here. And that is like the shitposting impulse. I've thought about I this thought a lot. I thought you say that's the shitposting ideal. Yeah, it is also the shitposting <laughs> ideal. Um, but it is like that is like the the modus for shit posting is you don't want me to do it's like I'm not touching you like or stop hitting yourself mm-hmm. like it's it's that and I think there is something really fun about watching Twitch chat just descend into this very childish and very funny way of being. Mm-hmm. So going back for a second, 
back on the subject of like when Twitch chat is bad. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know, man. Like, I kind of almost prefer to see how people actually feel, even if that opinion is just absolute ass. It's really hard to explain. Maybe it's just I'm like a messy bitch that will go online <laughs> and like read this the bad forum posts about why people hate me. Um, but I don't know. Like, I just. I feel like I would rather see how people feel than like have that be like an unspoken yeah. thing. Um, but I, like, it's curious. I I feel like if you speak to certain people on Twitch, they might tell you that like in an effort to moderate its communities, Twitch is kind of losing some sort of authenticity in the process. Mm-hmm. Um, I've seen this arise the most during uh, speedrunning events, like especially big ones where there are rules like that prevent people from saying political things or anything derogatory. Like, I've actually seen people say that that's a form of censorship. Um, And recently there was a speedrunner who was trying to raise money for an event. And in the comments you had people go, I'll donate money to you, but only if you let speedrunners say whatever they want. Um, So to me, I feel like it becomes this question of, like, what culture should Twitch channels try to preserve? Is a more raw culture, like, that's... harmful to certain people like actually worth saving because i feel like some people genuinely believe that it is i understand that argument but i also think it's bullshit (laughs) you know i think it's bullshit too but i i see it reflected kind of in the wider climate too like you have these people that feel that the world world is too pc so then you get people like trump um who say awful things but people defend it because they're like, oh, he's just telling it how it is. And I don't agree with him, but I like that he'll say what's on people's actual minds. This and I respect that. so fucking funny to me because anytime I try to talk about socialism or feminism on Kotaku.com, you get people in the comments that are like, keep your politics out of my games. And like if, if Trump is allowed, if like your political idols are allowed to just tell it how it is, I'm also allowed to just tell mm-hmm. it how it is. And let me tell you, I got a <laughs> lot of opinions about a lot of shit. <laughs> like... I censor myself every day. I do to make people more comfortable. Mm-hmm. Like, that's not very hard for me. And not everybody wants to hear about how capitalism's the devil all of the time. Like, I would, that would make me a very boring person. And mm-hmm. I, I do sort of, you know, there's a lot of different political viewpoints, even at Kotaku. And I know that I need to not necessarily always be saying what I actually feel about people in the news, for instance, mm-hmm. or famous game developers who have opinions I think are a bit silly. Mm-hmm. Um, like, it's not productive. It doesn't help anyone, and it's not going to help me either. Yeah, I feel like often when people are, like, debating the merits of censorship and feeling like certain people aren't allowed to say what they actually feel, it's, like, really jarring how it feels almost hypocritical that it's like, well, why can't this guy say this awful thing, but you have a real problem with this feminist or whoever it might be saying whatever they believe, and you try to shut them down. Yeah. Like, it just has to, I mean, I really love hearing from people who disagree with me. Like, honestly, I find it really interesting to read, like, bad conservative takes because I'm very interested in seeing how these people feel and why they feel that way. But it has, if I'm going to have a conversation with you, it needs to be, like, equal footing. Like, I need to be able to say something without you interrupting me or disqualifying what I have to say because I used a word you don't like, like, feminism. Usually it just comes down to me saying feminism. Hmm. Um, and it, it's not fair to hear an argument that I've heard and debunked, like, a thousand times in my head and with other people 
but I'm not allowed to say just anything regarding critical race theory. You know, it's just, Mm. it feels always, um, I want to have those conversations. Like, I really do. And I have them, I think, in real life. Yeah, it's, I mean, it's hard to have them online when people are looking on and, like, able, like, a billion people could just jump in and, like. Yeah, I'm sure you've seen the, like, YouTube debate culture Mm. where everyone's always, like, I'm going to have this person on for a live stream. And there is, again, like, YouTube chat, which is much more toxic than Twitch chat, if we're going to be real. Mm -hmm. Um, And they, it's for the purpose of the other, the audience, that chat, to gawk at someone getting burned or, it's not really about education. It's about performing for their uh, perceived audience. I know, like, in the political, the, the commentary sphere of YouTube, this goes on all the time. They have, like, weekly debates. Mm-hmm. But they aren't, like, actual conversations that are productive, like talking to your weird conservative friend over a beer. Mm-hmm. They are definitely for other people to watch. And then, if especially if you watch the chat, it's um, always about, People clipping out the funniest moment for them to share of this feminist getting owned. Yeah, I feel like when it becomes a cultural thing on YouTube, the the point of it isn't to come to a resolution, right? Mm-hmm. It isn't to have a good discussion. It's for people to watch this almost as a sport to have people kind of like yeah. tear each other apart. And yeah. it's like this weird arena thing. Like it's not – it doesn't feel constructive to me even though I feel like that's always – where a lot of discussions online end up like if you really believe this you should be able to debate this in front of an audience with this person who thinks you're not a human being and if you're not willing to do that then i don't know censorship <laughs> like it, yeah the whatever the then is is always like a different thing too yeah. it's like uh but, but you know it's i feel that too like i i feel like my writing speaks for myself for itself if anybody wants to know how I feel about something politically, like there's a whole wealth of writing that I've done that will tell you. Um, and I don't need to defend the things I believe because for the most part, they don't actually hurt other people. Mm. <laughs> you know, like believing that racism is real is just something that I hold inside my heart. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm glad Twitch is working towards making its site more comfortable for all sorts of people and it. But it does kind of feel like there's a battle for the spirit of the site and what people can or cannot say, whether that's constructive messages, harmless shit posting, or like bigoted comments. And it does seem like a tremendous problem to try to solve. Like, how do you tell a computer when uh, the gay emoticon comes on? It might be people saying "I'm gay," or it might be people like saying, laughing at gay. Like, that's gay. Like. Yeah, I don't yeah. see how, like... Didn't Google start doing an algorithm, too, for, like, detecting toxic comments, and it couldn't detect the difference between saying, I hate Hitler and I love Hitler? Like, it would say, I love Hitler was a non-toxic comment, but I hate Hitler was a toxic <laughs> comment. <laughs> um, <laughs> Machine learning hasn't gotten there yet, really. Yeah, but I feel like that's the next frontier of, of uh, I don't know. Yeah. Machine like it- learning. Well, the Automat, I know that Heather uses it on our Twitch channel, which mm-hmm. we have a Twitch channel, by the way. And right now she's streaming L.A. Noir, which is a really fun game. Um, and she uses Automat. And she streams by herself. I don't really know if she's modded anyone in the chat yet. And so she says that from her perspective, though, like Automat is a huge help for her because hmm. she has to be playing a game and reading the chat and right. talking to them at the yeah, same time. Yeah, it's a time. good tool. Like Twitch definitely has tools to combat this stuff and it's great that they're working on it Mm -hmm. um but i do think some people try to make it sound like the whole site is going to become sanitized which 
kind of strikes me as like fear it's really mongering. Weird. Yeah. Um, and I think it often just comes down to what a specific community will allow people to say. Like you might have a streamer who's more permissive. They might allow their community to say whatever on their channel. And then you might have another channel who might consider that same, those same memes to be like not good. And they yeah. might ban those words. They might ban those phrases, whatever it is. I've uh, added words to my banned words list just because I thought the joke wasn't funny anymore. Mm. You know, like I, yeah. I'm i very much an Iron Fist moderator. So <laughs> I just like off topic discussions. I don't give a shit. Mm. Like you're getting out of here. Um, but it is like going back to the thing you were talking about, about speedrunners and like the way that they their community has always been a little bit permissive about what streamers are allowed to say. Uh, it's just sort of like, especially now, like it's also about like within smaller contexts, like small streams of just one person, they may be allowed to say things that are raunchy or not, quote, yeah, I feel like not that's, PC. That's but, true in real life, too. Like yeah. you might say things that are like not. PC with a friend, but with the understanding yeah. that that's not okay necessarily. Yeah. You know, like in these specific cases, it's often like a big brand wanting to curate their shit. So, of course, they're going to want to give off a certain image. Yeah. And of course, they're going to moderate. Like, that yeah, makes like, sense to me. Awesome Games Done Quick is now really huge. I know people that don't care about games at all that watch it just because they think it's really interesting. You mm -hmm. know, like, it makes sense that that when it becomes uh, more public facing outside of the video game world, people are just going to have to watch their language on streams. Mm -hmm. And that is just a rule of broadcasting. Like that Maddie did that whole piece about how their Cammy has to wear a specific costume in Street Fighter oh now because she has too much <laughs> ass. And like that's just real. Like that is someone sent a tip to us today. Uh, in our email saying that we all, some of us swear too much on the site. And it's mm. just like, I understand the context that will make you say this to us, but it is all just about who we're facing, who our audience is, and what we want from that audience. I find when I used to stream that allowing certain kinds of conversations to go on too long always le led to a toxic chat. So I had to put measures in place to make sure that people were all having a good time. Mm. Like anytime people started talking about sex too much in the chat, chat would get weird. Mm. And I had to make sure that I, as a person, like timed out specific users that tried to make things raunchy in the chat mm. just because I didn't want anyone to feel uncomfortable. And like that isn't about censorship. It's just about I don't want to like watch watch someone visibly get uncomfortable in a small Twitch chat. When it's bigger, it's hard to keep a track of. But culture changes, moods change, and I think it's always better just to err on the side of making people sure they're comfortable. Yeah, it's interesting now that because everyone is vlogging, because everyone posts online, that like everyone is learning how to use these moderation tools and like how to become a, a, a moderator and like where they draw the line is very yeah. different. Yeah. Because it... You know, it's it, people act like Twitch is a monolith, but if you go from channel to channel, you will see that's definitely not true at all, mm -hmm. and that different channels have completely different ways of moderating their channel. Like, it, if if Twitch starts making better machine learning algorithms to moderate chat, it will still always be opt-in for streamers. Mm -hmm. I can't imagine a world in which they would enforce that on your streams. So it, it's very much... I, I think... The Twitch chat that you love will always be here. In your heart. In your heart. <laughs> but also for real. <laughs> Gita. Hello. You wanted to talk about toxic fandoms? Well, not quite that. I want to talk about 
big fandom. Big fandoms. Okay. What happens to a fandom when it becomes enormous? And it was inspired one by my experiences, of, like in the Harry Potter fandom, which I always want to talk about. But two, um, my friend was a couple of my friends were over at Anime Fest in Texas over the weekend, and apparently, what I was seeing on Twitter was it almost got shut down by the cops because they were doing autographs in um, Artist Alley. And there were too many people waiting for autographs. So you could not be standing in a line if you were in Artist Alley. You had to be moving around. And one of my friends tweeted something like, people are just hovering around the autograph booths like sharks, just like walking in circles because they want to get autographs, but the cops won't allow them to stand in line. <laughs> it sounds like a mini game or something. Yeah. Like a Mario Party mini game. Can someone make that game jam for us? <laughs> the Anime Fest, try to get an autograph jam? Yeah, and like, yeah, I mean, that is like a very physical consequence of having a big fandom. I think that was for mostly like they had Yuri on Ice people there and like mm. that was going to get out of control. Um, like when the cops try to shut down your fandom, like, you know that you are on a different level. <laughs> but you can boast about that, though. Yeah. Like, like, Cal, yeah. I'm sure there's T-shirts now. Someone's made a button, I'm sure. <laughs> um, but I also, you know, you think about, I mean... There's something about big fandoms that when they're when they're really small. I remember when Yuri on Ice was still this show that people were trying to convince people to watch, right? Mm-hmm. Like there is still like our friend Amanda saying like this is a great show. Please watch this show mm-hmm. and trying to convince people to take a chance on this ice skating anime. And then it exploded. And that was really good, but there's always something small and familiar that, about a small fandom for a niche thing that I really love that you completely lose once it mm-hmm. becomes enormous. Well, I feel like it's also hard to tell the scale of a fandom nowadays because you might like this weird thing, but then if someone finds it, a lot of attention can come towards it. Like, yeah. I don't know how many people were actually making the Splatoon LGBT posts. Maybe it was only 30 people, and that's really small, but... Because of the way that um, system curates stuff, it kind of makes it seem like everyone is yeah. is talking about that. I mean, there's that. And there's also like one big personality can make a, span- a fandom explode. Mm-hmm. All right, just for a non-fandom example, but there's this game called Cook, Serve, Delicious, which is an incredible like restaurant management cooking game that I love. Um, and apparently it was doing like okay on Steam until Ryan Davis and Jeff Gersman from Giant Bomb played it on a quick look. Mm. And then after that, it absolutely exploded to the point that he added an update that has like a Ryan Davis burger in it. And the next one has like a like another giant bomb themed hmm. like meal because like, like he wasn't really making much money back on his game until someone played it. And like we see this happen with big streamers pick a game like I, I would say uh, Chloe and uh, Spencer, our intern, uh, wrote a great post about the toxic reputation of the Undertale fandom. And she talks a little bit about how big streamers caused that fandom to grow. I remember when Undertale came out, it had a built-in fandom because it was sort of uh, related to the Homestuck fandom in a little bit. Mm-hmm. But I remember when t- that game came out, I had heard about it just from these people, these queer women that make visual novels. Uh, I heard about it from AVB. She tweeted, uh, if you liked my visual novel, uh we Are the Devil, you should check out Undertale. And I was like, well, I loved We Are the Devil, so I'll check out this weird indie game. And then suddenly it was no longer a weird indie game. It was this thing that everybody was playing. It was a huge craze. And now it's like people cosplay it. It's no longer a secret that you have. Mm -hmm. And that means that it is a totally different experience trying to interact with fans of it. Mm -hmm. 
Yeah, and also when that happens, when something explodes, you get what happens in the article that Chloe wrote where things can get toxic, they can get out of hand. And it's very easy for those fans to kind of overshadow the rest of the fandom, even if it's, again, just a few people who are doing this shitty thing. Um, and it's really interesting to watch fandoms try to navigate this. Um, yeah. Because I feel like almost every fandom goes through this. Like, I think uh, with Steven Universe, for example, there was a time in which, what was it? There was a a, a, a fan artist who got... Well, yeah, and there was um, the fandom had always so part of Steven Universe is that it has a reputation for being very inclusive, mm-hmm. and it has characters that have very different body shapes and sizes, and a lot of women. So some of them are coded as certain races, but they are all magical gemstone persons. So that's mm-hmm. like very much an ambiguous thing. So there had always been a little bit of drama in the fandom um, for art fan artists who portray Garnet, who has a black voice actress and an afro. Um, as being fair-skinned or not having an afro or something like that. And then Amethyst, who is, like, really curvy, um, people in fandom would, would always try to be very careful about, like, please don't draw her as thin because she is definitely not thin. Mm-hmm. She's a thick girl. I think the specific thing that I saw was uh, Rose being drawn as thin. Was yeah. that the thing that Rose Quartz also is, like, is Stephen's mom, and she's also, like, she's she's, like, a... She's fat. She's a fat girl. It's like great. Mm -hmm. Um, And she's depicted as like a beautiful person. That's lovely. It's a lovely message. But then when you get the fandom being like, you can never draw her as thin, that feels a little different, even if I kind of agree with that sentiment. Mm -hmm. You know, I think it is important to portray this character as fat. But I also think um, you shouldn't drive someone out of the fandom because you they do something you don't like. And this is. This is not unique because I've also seen this happen in the Overwatch fandom with May specifically. Mm-hmm. Um, there was a new outfit that came out for her that I think either made her butt bigger, her butt smaller. It was and butt in- related. <laughs> yeah, it was butt related. And it just set off this entire discussion of like, well, a lot of her identity in the community is that she's kind of like a cute, like chubby character but this costume makes her look thin. And how does that clash with like what we've made of her and what like the official depiction of May is? And I, I would just see these like strange posts of people trying to determine what her actual outline was and like just drawing these literal diagrams with like red outlines of like I remember this. this is this is her actual body, so you can't draw her in this yeah. way. You can't depict her in this way. I think with fan artists, it's particularly tricky because, like, I don't know, man. It's just sometimes these people don't even have an audience. So why would you drag them in front of, like, thousands and thousands of people for for being the wrongdoer? Yeah. Even though technically we're talking about something that's, like, so much bigger than just one person or one drawing. Yeah. Even if the drawing becomes popular. I think my thing always, this usually happens in bigger fandoms. In smaller fandoms, people are, like... They have conversations about this stuff. And also, you know, they are themselves the tastemaker. In a group of about 20 people that like all like the same show, you kind of all know each other. And when someone's like, how about d- depicting this character this way? People can be like, um, doesn't really work for me. It doesn't seem like it's canon, you know. Um, whereas in bigger fandoms, it's so much easier to just have one person write a post and then have a mob to form around that post. Yeah, so, like a, more recently, yeah. the Dream Daddy thing about like... Um 
someone drew the gender bent version of the characters. Um, so they were depicted as a woman. And then the controversy became like, well, if you're being inclusive, then you can't just say that someone's a woman or someone's a man based on those yeah, features. The, specifically, the thing was like, um, oh, if the Damien, the goth that is a trans man, should you are you will should you draw him as a woman mm-hmm. and like well you know he could be a trans woman and i think the artist who drew that said she hadn't played the game she didn't know that he was a trans man but obviously would follow that she was a trans woman in the gender bent art but there was sort of like an ongoing conversation but it just because the fandom was so big mm-hmm. it just snowballed into this thing where suddenly this fan artist who is quite popular um was getting a ton of shit Mm-hmm. And like that doesn't feel good, regardless of whether or not that person is in the right or wrong. When you like you, we both know when you have hundreds of people asking you the same question, it feels insane. And mm-hmm. like you feel like you're going to die. <laughs> it's really awful. Yeah. And I don't know if it's still as straightforward as like this person did a popular thing. They deserve to be publicly dragged. Yeah. I think it still becomes a question of like picking targets and I don't know that I would consider a fan artist for like a sort of niche thing to be like worth dragging specifically versus saying like this if if it so happens that like a lot of people are doing this and it's like a wider problem then I think I I would find it more valid to like publicly critique that. Yeah, I mean what we do is in in essence that you know, is try not to shine a light on any single person for their misdeeds. And I think that is a very good rule of thumb for fandom interactions, especially when fandoms are very big and the fans are very passionate. I, you know, it's very tempting to say, like, use an example and say, point at a person and be like that. Don't do that thing, that that, this specific thing. But people learn better when you say, this is a particular way of behaving. Here are the ways that it's wrong. When, if you feel yourself doing this thing, maybe take a step back and think about why. Like, yeah, for the I do definitely think that you shouldn't draw rose quartz as as a skinny person. Like, that's just it's very specifically Steven Universe cares in that about that character having that particular body shape. And that should be respected. But that's a conversation I'd rather have one to one as a person or to yeah, with like a yeah. friend or something. Like, yeah. I don't I won't really care if a stranger is doing something. That People I, do dumbass shit online all the time. Yeah. <laughs> and I don't like it's not a good use of my time to get mad at someone who. I might not even know the full story. Like, yeah, you know, in, in the case of that uh, fan artist with Dream Daddy, they apparently had never even played the game. They didn't have the context to know yeah. this character was this way. So it might not be a good idea to depict them in, in X way. But it's so very easy to see something out of context online and just be like, that's bad. Everyone shame that person. Yeah, it's so easy. And I fall into that shit all the time. When that bad poem from... Uh, the Ready Player One guy was going around. I retweeted some jokes about that because I thought it was funny. But but I feel like that's that's different though okay, because okay. he's he's a f- uh, he is now about to make like a major mo- motion picture that's like directed by yeah. Steven Spielberg. I feel like that is a million of millions of dollars. Is that the line? Well, I don't know. I think it's more for me. It's more specifically that like if I make a a comment about that person, I don't know that it's going. That they're going to read it, yeah. you know, like it's it feels less like me ganging up on someone who's vulnerable than it does like me speaking to my specific 
community. Yeah. And I guess another thing about big fandoms is they always end up having like, quote, big name fans. And these are people with tens of thousands of followers on, you know, whatever plat- social media platform that they have. And like everyone pays attention to their posts and you know when they do something because they're, people talk about them a lot. That's different from being the Ready Player One guy. That's different from being an actual celebrity mm-hmm. because they are not insulated by uh, a staff, say, or a publicist. Right. He, he could pay someone yeah. to look at his uh, Twitter yeah, he's versus, got a PR person to like handle drama for him. You know, he can spend a lot of money to just get away from the internet. Like, yeah, yeah. He so also it's different. It's yeah, definitely it's different. very different. And like, you have to be mindful of that. Even if someone looks like they're in a position of power, they might not be. I mean, that's different when you add in other like social political contexts. But like, if you are, I see so many fans just snipping at each other, and it really sometimes makes me sad. That's mm. all I want to say. Yeah, I feel like the internet is very dog-eat-dog for in certain niche communities, and it's, yeah. it's really sad. I mean, I think it does have something to do about fandoms when they get to a certain size. The act of being a fandom, uh, being in the fandom, sometimes surpasses the act of enjoying the media. Mm. So it becomes necessary to keep up with the news of what all these like very popular fans of something have done, as much as it is like being a fan of something else. Especially if you're dealing with something that is like uh, not getting new installments. Overwatch fandom actually has not a lot of drama because they always get new updates to shit. Mm-hmm. So they always have something new to look at. Um, but something like Dream Daddy, like that's a one and done. So mm-hmm. anything that the fandom has to do, they have to create themselves. And sometimes when they get bored, that means that they want to fight because mm-hmm. it's something <laughs> a little bit more entertaining than just huh, sitting I around. Wonder how you know. many like fandom uh, drama moments are just actually people being bored? Yeah, I I see it sometimes where I like I see a fandom popping off and I'm like, oh, this is happening because, you know, it's like a year until you're going to see like the new game or the new season. And mm-hmm. you're just trying to you want to be involved in being a fan, but there's just nothing new under the sun right now. Um, you see it, especially in like anime fandoms, especially in anime fandoms where, you know, it's a very long time and you t- like you're going to get the release in English. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's just they they're waiting and they they want they are so obsessive and they are so devoted but that just means they don't have anywhere to put that energy mm-hmm. and so someone saying the wrong thing or making fan art that sucks it seems like yeah. a more larger than life thing yeah that, in that moment because oh my god that's the only thing that's going on in this fandom right now mm-hmm. um i mean i guess my advice i there's no way, real good way to sum this up because my what helped me not get wrapped up in fandom drama was not being in fandom anymore. <laughs> yeah, more like a casual observer. I don't know. Well, maybe I'm a little bit of a part of the Splatoon fandom yeah. more than other. You're things, kind so. of a Splatoon stan. You're like a little <laughs> bit like yeah. you. I see you talk about <laughs> our squid kids. <laughs> yeah. Um, but it's it's not the same as when I was a teen and like that was my entire identity going onto forums and seeing what people were talking about and like creating content for that for those communities. So yeah, yeah. it's different. Like I I wonder how many of these uh fan things that arise are also just young people who I don't know. Yeah, young people who I mean for me like getting into fandom was I loved Harry Potter didn't have a lot of friends, and had access to the internet. So Mm -hmm. it just became a thing for me to do 
when I exhausted all of the other things that I did, just scrolling through LiveJournal and reading, you know, the entries from all my favorite writers and talking about what might happen in the next book and saying repeatedly that Sirius and Remus were going to get together because they were totally in love. Um, I'm still mad that she, J.K. Rowling made them straight, but whatever. Um, and it was certainly, it was just part of, it was so integral to my identity. Like you see this in the things that evolved out of that, like Super Hulock, that big mega fandom of people that all liked Supernatural, Doctor Who, and Sherlock. What the fuck? No, that was like a real thing. Like people would make these like images, like this is a Super Hulock blog. But it was because they all three, they liked all three of those shows because they had pretty similar, like they're hot quotes, air quotes around that hot white guys uh, and supernatural stuff was like basically mm. the premise of those three shows. And two of them, you know, had British accents. And it became it became really important because it was young people, teenagers that needed something in common with people in order to try to make friends because maybe they're a little awkward or mm. maybe they don't know have a lot of friends in their hometown. Or, I mean, you know, this happens in real life too. Like in high school... If I saw a kid with converses, I would know that I could talk to them about a certain kind of music. Mm. And that became very important to me for me to project it. I'm reading this book, Meet Me in the Bathroom, right now, which is about the music scene in the late 90s and early 2000s in New York. So Interpol, The Strokes, and the Yaya Yaz. And they talk a little bit about how The Strokes made a point of dressing like every single day they were going to play a gig so that people really knew who they were and it signals something to other people. Mm -hmm. And so that eventually became the uniform. The leather jackets and the skinny jeans and the converses became the uniform for all hipsters in New York and eventually all hipsters in America. Yeah, and you you see that translating online. Like, I feel as if when you're a part of a certain fandom, it becomes a shorthand for other things that you might yeah. like. Like, for if you're example, into Steven Universe, you're probably a, some, a queer person. Like, that's, like, become a weird signal online. Mm -hmm. But go on. I mean, obviously... Not always. Yeah. Straight people also like that show. But if you're just meeting someone for the first time and they tell you that they like that show, you might wonder, right? Mm -hmm. Like, you what might else make do we an have assumption. in common? Yeah. Yeah. Um, have you ever, have you noticed any other like weird signals like that? I don't know. Uh, Yuri on Ice, yeah. I feel like, <laughs> yeah. Give, gives a very specific, like, you probably like a certain type of anime, yeah. sports anime. Yeah, I know. Boy-focused anime. Usually Yuri on Ice fans have feelings about Final Fantasy XV as well. I've noticed <laughs> that. Yeah, there's... It's You can probably take any fandom and it will tell you something about a different fandom and they overlap in surprising ways. Yeah. This is like one of my favorite things about online and it's also my least favorite thing about online is like these... The ways that uh, that people perform being a fan on the internet... But it's true, like, since I've understood most of my life as being a fan of things and not a creator of things until, like, now in my adult life, I've thought so much about what the things I like say about me mm. and what they say about other people. Like, I get, I used to be so much more judgmental about people's tastes. Yes, <laughs> and I feel like now I've just allowed myself to like shitty things and just mm -hmm. not feel guilty about it. Although... Now that we're living in a golden age of like good TV and good movies and all this other shit, um, it's very easy to not consume garbage. Like, yeah, <laughs> yeah, I don't have to watch Can't Hardly Wait over and over and over again. I could just watch a good television show. <laughs> um, it is remarkable, but it is also like it is so freeing to just be like, 
hey, you know what? I I really like Riverdale, and you can't stop me from liking Riverdale. It's so stupid. Yeah, it's funny to talk about that show with other people because they're always like, "Why do you like it?" And I'm like, "I'm I'm not trying to tell you that it's good. It's absolute <laughs> garbage." It's I like, still like seeing the hot people have drama. I yeah. guess I maybe I miss Gossip Girl. I don't know. It's like it's like a less good Gossip Girl, and like as someone who loves Gossip Girl, that's good enough for me. Well, I think also for me specifically, now I'm going to defend my love for Riverdale. <laughs> I read the comics and the comics are really good. And it's interesting to see how the the depiction of Archie in the comics differs from Archie on the television screen. Because I feel like some decisions just make no sense to me. And it's kind of hilarious to see some of that stuff be mis- mistranslated. So that's part of the appeal, too, for me. Um, yeah. All this to say, you should read the Archie comics. I think we're going to try. I think if we keep talking about fandom, we will talk literally forever. So I think I'm going to try to wrap that conversation here and with that, wrap the pod. Um, So I wanted to make sure before we stopped talking um, and ended this podcast that I read this one iTunes review because it's really, really important for you guys to leave us reviews. It really helps a lot with visibility. This is from WYK, and the title is, Just listen to the second episode about the Switch with five stars. And they say, I love the, po- uh, the talking points about the Switch as a fashion accessory and how the marketing behind it is to get the Switch onto many chic- as many chic places as possible. Can't wait for a new episode. Well, guess what? You're listening to a new episode right now, <laughs> and you're going to get one weekly. Um, so th- thank you so much, WYK. It is really helpful if you leave us reviews. So please read- do them, and then I will read them on the podcast so uh i'm gita jackson i'm joined by patricia hernandez and you should also send us reader mail at uh, patricia at kotaku.com with the subject heading uh fave this and we will also read those during our reader mail segments so thank you so much for joining us 